Hi, everyone, and happy 2023. We are kicking off the first podcast episode of the year with the Well and Good Annual Trends Report. Now, I personally geek out over this stuff, and I am so excited to bring this episode with Abby Stone, who is the VP of Content and Executive Editor of Well and Good. In case you aren't familiar with Well and Good, Well and Good is a leader in the wellness space and has been for over a decade. It is one of my go-tos for the latest and the greatest, and their site is filled with so much goodness. I remember sitting at my desk at my first job out of college at an advertising agency, and I would read their website religiously every single morning. It has always been one of my go-tos, and I love that they do this report. Every year, they publish their annual Well Trends program, and it's their biggest event of the year. They make predictions for what's going to take a splash in the year ahead in wellness. And in this episode, we touch on the 2023 trends for food, health, fitness, and they have even more on their site, so definitely check it out. After you listen to this episode, so you can hear all the details. Well and Good has been spot on in the past years. So I'm really excited to share this episode in with you guys and hear what you think because they have been on point each and every year for a majority of their trends. If you do love this episode, share it with your friends, tag myself and Well and Good when you are listening. And if you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to rate and review over on iTunes. Happy, happy, happy new year. And we'll be back with another episode in two Tuesdays from now that we've been saving up for you while I'm over here in newborn land. Hi, Abby. Hi. Apologies, I'm in this like cave. That <laughs> uh, looks nice. I want to join in that cave. Where are you? Um, I booked a WeWork in the hopes that it would be quiet because I work at home and my husband also works at home. So often we're on dueling conference calls, but the lighting in this phone booth is a little... Ambiance, I guess. Honestly, it looks like you're in almost like a podcast like studio hub. So I'm jealous. <laughs> um, you guys, do you have still have the office? Like in what did you have an office in Flatiron? Do you we have did. We do, actually do you have a thing for cracking open cans the second you get it or not? I do this every time. I always forget to open it before the podcast. Is that a spin drift that I see? Oh, of course. It's my favorite. I'm addicted. I have to get them to sponsor the podcast because I I drink probably two. I mean, I definitely drink two a day, but I always drink one as we podcast. No, he drinks like fifteen a day to the point where I'm just like, he's always like like subtle, not burping, like subtly like having like gas. I'm like you drink so many carbonated beverages. First of all, they're like very lightly carbonated. It's not even that strong. No, I mean to each to each room. But sorry, so do you guys still have the office? So we actually got rid of the office last week. Oh. So. Yeah. So I was going to go in and record this from there. And then all of a sudden they were like, oh, no, sorry, we ended our lease. So I had to kind of scramble to find another space. But here we what are. Was, what was the reasoning, like just the current climate or like how come no more office? Yeah. So we've been, you know, carrying the lease for throughout the pandemic, but really very few people had been using the space um, because we're still, you know, majority remote and kind of split between the coasts and, you know, people are all over the place. So just hadn't really been using the space. So they had decided that they were going to give it up at the end of the year. And then something actually happened with, um, they were leasing from WeWork. Like it was a long-term lease with WeWork. And I guess WeWork lost access to that space. So we had to get out sooner than expected. So yeah, just super exciting times during Q4. (laughs) That's pretty crazy. I'm like, I think 
I mean, I don't know for sure. I haven't worked in an office setting in, in eight, eight years now, but I just feel like after COVID, it proved to so many employers that like, you don't need an office for everyone every day, but it's like a good way to save money for these companies yeah. too, instead of like renting like large office spaces. Yeah. I think there's going to be a huge like flex system where people can have probably smaller office spaces because I don't think, I don't think too many companies will have everyone in the office all the time. Is that one of the 2023 trends? You know, it's funny. It's not. We, um, we looked into it. We really did. I, and I really wanted a trend kind of around workplace wellness for last year. And I think uh, for next year, sorry. And I think what we were finding is just that it's so much up in the air. There's so very little kind of like concrete data or information to grasp onto at this point. And it's really going to depend on kind of what some of these like big tech companies do. They tend to leave the space and we just don't know yet. So something we'll keep reporting on and covering, but didn't make the final final 2023 trends list this year. So tell us about what the what the trends exactly not like we'll get into like what the exact trends are, but like this wellness trends report, you guys have done this for years. I remember going to the well and good office. Oh my gosh. Had to have been like five years ago, six years ago for like around the holidays, like in December in the morning. And (laughs) I think it was the founders were like announcing what the trends were. Like I'm actually like just thought of this right now. Like I didn't even think about it until we started talking about this. Like I went to the well and good office. And you had like a whole like party about it. We did a breakfast. I remember this was my first year at Well and Good. This was 2017, I think. And yeah, that year we did kind of a, you know, a small launch event for mostly press and kind of like leaders in the space and kind of like people within, within wellness. Yeah. I remember that. That was so funny. We've, uh, it's gotten bigger and better since then. (laughs) So yeah, to just back up a minute and talk a little bit about trends. So we've been compiling these wellness trends reports. It's something Well and Good has been doing as a brand since the brand was founded in in 2010. So we're going on like year 13 for this. And they really have gotten bigger and better and, and more robust every single year. So we start working on these trend reports in the summer, usually it's like midway through the year months before we launch. And we just start as an editorial team, you know, compiling all of the pitches and emails that we've gotten in our inboxes. The reporters on my team are are constantly talking to wellness leaders and experts and brands in the space. So they just start kind of putting all their data together, putting the pieces together and then seeing where they think things are heading in the year to come. And then as we kind of work through a a long list that keeps getting shorter as we go, proving these things out with just tons of, you know, hundreds of interviews with with these brand founders and leaders and doctors and experts in the space. Because we really do want to make sure that there is enough support to to prove these out. We don't want to call something a trend if if we're just kind of guessing that it will be. We really want to be sure about it. So yeah, and we we started with that small breakfast launch event the past few years. We've done like a big launch party in New York City. So we'll be doing one again this year as well um, in early December. Yeah, it should be like a fun cocktail party where people can come and test out some of the trends and and try them out for, for themselves to really be on the vanguard. So really excited about that. It's awesome. Yeah, looking back at some of the prior years, I think you guys really nailed a lot of the um 
trends that actually have come up. Do you guys review prior years to see where you've like hit the spot and where maybe you missed? We do. Yeah. And we, um, we try and, you know, once we name something, continue reporting on that topic throughout the year as well. So, you know, something that really was proven out from last year was we talked about really the rise of these menopause focused companies. And I think that's something that we've really just seen explode. Um, and we've kind of continued to cover, you know, launches from Stacey London and Katie Couric is backing brands. And there's just like so much information in that space. Um, but yeah, it's funny. We And we do look back and we laugh. A, a funny one always for me is um, in our 2020 trends report, we called that megaformer workouts. So like SLT and these like Pilates equipment workouts were going to be huge in 2020. And then of course, the <laughs> pandemic happened and no one had right. access to these machines at all. So, I mean, couldn't have predicted the pandemic really, but yeah, we don't always hit the mark, but we are, our batting records pretty good. Yeah, for sure. It's pretty impressive. So before we dive into what the trends are for this year, would you mind just giving the listeners a little background on who you are and what you do at Well and Good? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Abby Stone, and I'm the Vice President of Content at Well and Good. Well and Good, for people who might not be familiar, is a digital media brand focusing on health and wellness. Um, and we take a really kind of 360 body, mind, soul approach to your well-being um, with a really journalistic, science-backed approach to the information that we share so that people come to us and see us as a really trusted place for learning, you know, kind of the, all of the tools and information they need in order to live their best lives, which is not, not always easy to do. So yeah. So I head up editorial for Will and Good. I remember you guys were like the first website I ever read when I worked, I used to work in healthcare advertising. Mm. 10, 10 plus years ago. Over 10 years ago. And I remember reading the Well and Good website when it was like a blog. It looked like a blog. Yeah. Like it did not look like the site that it is today. And I remember that's how I found out about like that um that place I like Cortino in Soho that had like organic Italian food. And like I was always reading Well and Good to find out like the latest and the greatest. So it's been awesome to see how much you guys have like grown and become just like such a notable destination, I would say for people to read, to know like what's going on, like what should I be looking out for? What trends are there? What isn't just trendy and is actually like legitimate. So you guys have always been like a very valuable resource to people everywhere. Yeah. I think especially in the like wellness space, you can not call it like clickbait, but there's so many things that you can really almost scare people with. And I think you guys do a really good job of like laying out the facts and not just like get people's emotions into it, but really just try to inform, which I think is, which is great. And not always the case, I would say in this health and wellness space. Thank you. I mean, that's really the goal. I think there is so much noise when it comes to wellness and so much confusion and it's, and, and the stakes feel really high too, right? We're talking about people's well-being. We're talking about their health. So, so really our goal is to be a, a place where people feel safe and know they can trust the information. So we have a few buckets for the wellness trends. So food is obviously my bread and butter, personal favorite for forever. So let's, I'm excited to hear what you guys have predicted. For food, I did have a little sneak peek at some of the trends, but what can we expect for next year? Yeah, so something that we 
I'm really excited about, I think kind of a fun, a fun trend for next year is the, the rise of, um, tinned fish products sounds kind of silly, but I think that there's been this movement to make tinned fish cool again. So in Europe and across the world and in some Asian countries eating, you know, not just things like tuna, but also, you know, sardines and mackerels and, you know, cockles and whatnot from, from a can has been a really common practice, but in the United States, you know, we think of our, you know, our tuna sandwiches or, you know, maybe your uncle likes sardines on pizza, but like, it really hasn't been something that has taken hold. Um, and we're really starting to see that change, which I think is really fun. Um, nutritionists love fish. It's so good for you high in omega-3s, which can be really difficult to get from other sources of food. So it's super, super healthy. It has a ton of protein is, you know, really satiates you throughout the day. And there are these like new, better products that are making it like really cool and delicious to, um, to snack in this way. So we're really excited about that. What are some of the products? Like I just always envision, I mean, what is it like you get anchovies to put in like Caesar salad, you make tuna sandwiches all the time. You went through like a hot sardine phase where he like wanted sardines. sardines. Uh, I think to your point, though, it's like a, a quick, easy way to always have something on hand to kind of either snack on or make a lunch. And, you know, they've always said like the smack fishes are always the best for you. And that's sardines, mackerel, salmon. And so now you can basically get all those in a can, which is cool. And I just think it's always had a bad rap, but they actually taste really good. Yeah, no, they are. There's there's this brand called um, Fishwife that is very cool. And they were founded, they're kind of a, a pandemic brainchild. We're founded in 2020 and they're ro- rolling out a ton of new products in the coming year. Um, and they have this like fun packaging and branding that makes it really accessible. And yeah, they're really delicious, these products too. A lot of the the new products we see on on the horizon for next year are incorporating more um kind of sauces and vegetables within them as well which is it makes it even more convenient it's like a meal in a can and you can really just like make some veggies or make some quinoa and open it and put it over and your meal is ready to go so yeah really fun i think maybe we'll have to try that for ezra's lunches next year He'd probably love it. He, he loves, loves tuna. Our kid loves tuna. He takes tuna for lunch. He's like that kid who probably sits at the lunch table and has smelly ass tuna during his lunchtime. Well, you, you, can't, you can't bring peanut butter and jelly to school. Yeah, you can't bring nuts, so. sesame uh, seeds. Like it's a tough, it's tough to pack. So at least it's allergen friendly, actually, for a lot of schools then if kids, if kids uh yeah. could hop on board. Sorry, I think it was smash fish. I think I said smack. Anyway. Smash fish. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so <laughs> pregnant. My brain is like, all right, smack sounds good too. Don't care. <laughs> um, okay. So next snackable supplements going beyond the gummy. What does that mean? Yeah, this is, this is really cool too. So more Americans than ever before are taking some form of supplement or vitamin every day. I think the number is at 80% of Americans are taking some sort of supplement or vitamin. And that's like, a huge number, of course. And the reason people do that is it's just, um, it can be difficult to get all of the vitamins that you need 
from food alone. You have to be really intentional about it. And some supplements like omega-3s might be difficult if maybe you're a vegetarian, so you can't eat the fish where it's most common. So supplements have just blown up over the past few years in terms like as an industry as a whole. And what we're seeing for next year is this new kind of cohort of brands that are presenting supplements in a whole new form. So we're very used to taking pills for supplements and vitamins. Um, We're very used to, in the past few years, have these like gummy supplements that people take. And the next wave are these supplement bites that are really made from whole foods and whole ingredients. Um, And what they look like, I feel like it's hard to kind of wrap your head around them unless you you can picture them, is they... Most of them are these little kind of dice sized bites that look really similar to if you're making like an energy ball in your home kitchen or a truffle chocolate, that sort of thing. So there are these little, little bites that are packed full of things like, um, dates and kale, and you can really get your whole recommended dose of vitamins. They can really act the same way a multivitamin does, but in this little snack bite um, that you, that you pop instead of having to swallow a pill. I have some in my pantry and I was just trying to see the name of them. It's like, it's in the top supplement drawer. I have these bites and they, I don't know what's in them, but they're like a little square and it came in this like tan, almost like a jewelry box looking Yeah, like a little tin. And I think there's like one for every day for the month. Um, they tasted like nuts, seeds, like you could taste like I don't know if there's wheatgrass in them, but you do taste like a subtle amount of like green powder of sorts. But I remember being like, oh, this is so much more fun than swallowing my pill with some water. And I also feel like it's something I'm not getting from like a prenatal or vitamin D or whatever it is. Um, But I've been seeing them more and more in the last couple of months, like new brands, because we're always trying new companies as a part of our um, investment leg leg of our business. And when they had reached out, I'm like, this is so fascinating. And there's ones that have like, that are chocolate too. Yes. Yep. There's one, um, called source, I believe, uh, I have that in where, my yeah, Sarah Highland is a creative director, I believe for them. And those are little chocolate bites. Um, some of the other big brands in this space are gem has a line. G-E-M. That's the one I have. That's the one. I've, yeah. Those, yeah. they're like those little cubes. Rootless is another one. And the packaging on these are like gorgeous too, which I think is like, it just makes it feel like chic in a new way. Um, And then there's one called Tend, which is a prenatal. And it's more, that one's a little bit bigger. It's like a very flat bar. We did talk to the, the creators of Tend and where that one, the prenatal came from in particular is that um, they were getting so much feedback that when you have morning sickness and you're nauseous, like swallowing a pill is a really unpleasant oh. thing to do. So, um, yeah, people have what's called pill fatigue and, and some people have a really hard time with pills. So that's where these come in. And then the other thing that's really great about them too, is that the vitamins and the nutrients in this form are more bioavailable than they are in a pill, which means that they're better mm. absorbed by your body because they're still in that whole food form. Um, so just to be clear, you're not going to eat one of these and it's going to replace like your breakfast. It's not like going to fill you up or act as a snack. What's going to do is replace those pills, those gummies you take in the morning in a way that's more aligned with maybe what the rest of your diet looks like. I'm excited about that one because I'm, I mean, swallowing pills is easy, 
but I got lucky with pregnancy where like I was able to swallow pills and it's been fine. But a lot of my friends that have been pregnant, especially they like, I can't take a vitamin. Like I'm going to vomit from taking this. Um, So I think that's really cool. And it's also another source of like nutrients. A lot of these, like the gems one. This one I'm excited about because this is always a a favorite of Rachel and I's to try to discover, but nostalgia food brands will feed your inner child. Yes, this is a this is a really fun one. So I think we're seeing this kind of in a greater cultural context. We're seeing this trend of of millennials in particular wanting to go back to, you know, things that were popular in their childhood, things that make them feel good, that they're used to, that they're comfortable with. We even look at fashion trends, right? And all of a sudden the like 90s, early 2000s are back, which is horrifying to me, but seems to be where we are these days. And that's really happening in the the food space as well, mostly with consumer packaged goods, uh, CPGs are creating these products that are like grown up versions of the foods we loved as kids. So um, Goodles is one that comes to mind. It's a macaroni and cheese company that is, you know, in these bright, colorful boxes that are really fun to have on your shelf, kind of evoke that playful feeling. Um, And they include, it's like kind of, they're kind of like nutrient boosted mac and cheese. They're delicious. They taste just like any other kind of boxed mac and cheese, but they have added um, protein and fiber and calcium and these nutrients in them. And they're launching a new plant-based vegan version as well in the coming year. So a lot of these new products are, you know, either nutrient boosted versions of things like like your mac and cheese, your Cheez-Its, your crackers, um, or they are um, plant-based vegan versions as well, which is really cool. I think it's very in line with like our investment thesis where we always try not to invest in brands that are like reinventing the wheel or coming out with like a new category of food. We always want a product that could sell itself when it's on shelves. Like you're not like picking up the package and are questioning like, every, like well, what is this? When do I eat it? Like, what is it for? Like Midday Squares is one of the brands that we're investors in. And like, you know, you pick up the peanut butter, the chocolate peanut butter fritter, the orange one, and it tastes like you're eating a peanut butter cup. Um, and to see brands that are bringing that like nostalgic type of vibe to food again is like a saw, even like nowadays with their like, you know, their plant-based chicken, like chicken quote nuggets, but there's no soy in it. They're like, you know, a little bit more like wholesome in my opinion, but like, that's always our favorite. I'm so excited to see like what brands are going to be coming out. You've even been looking at ones that like, you know, there was like a jelly company and it's like the, everything, everything, every brand that we get excited about is like, not someone that's like, inventing something new they're just making things that we already know and love but in a better way better for you way totally and delicious like that's been a a through thread of these two it's not like they're healthifying something and it's no longer something you want to eat um and it's something that's good for you know a lot of these are, are foods that you might think of as being a kid food but they're foods that we enjoy as adults too i love i love making box mac and cheese for myself for example <laughs> i made um bonza has like a crap microwave mac and cheese and on friday last week i didn't know what to make the kids for dinner like we were whatever we got to be the end of the year i was like oh my gosh i don't know so i made the bonza microwave mac and cheese and i put like frozen broccoli and leftover chicken in it to like, you know, add some more, some more nutrients. And on Sunday, my four, almost four-year-old goes, mommy, that macaroni and cheese was just so special. Can you make it again tonight? 
<laughs> I would love to make you a special macaroni and cheese. He knows, he knows how to butter you up. <laughs> he does know how to butter me up. But to see something like that, even like what Bonds is doing with the microwavable mac and cheese, like I wish I had that in college. Yeah. That would have been a, you know, a game changer. Now, the next one, Lupini. Is that how you say Lupini beans? Lupini beans. Yeah. So we have a brand of pot. It was a pasta. We haven't tried the pasta yet. We had the bars. Yeah. Um, but I feel like they're like the first innovator in this category of Lupini beans will be the new budget friendly legume. Yeah, exactly. Um, so basically Lupini beans are the new chickpea, I think is what it comes down to. The way that we were seeing chickpeas in everything, chickpea products kind of exploding a couple of years ago, Lupini beans is, is the next wave of that. Um, it's something that we've had our eye on for a couple of years, but we think that 2023 is going to be the big one for them. A legume or a pulse is, you know, a type of bean that is really high in protein. Um, so really, really good for you. Pack a ton of nutritional punch in a small serving. Um, and then the other thing about lupini beans in particular is that they're really sustainable to farm. Um, they don't have as many uh, carbon emissions. They don't take as much water. So it's a really sustainable resource. Um, you know, particularly if you're looking to replace animal proteins with with a with a bean protein instead, but you know, also among kind of plant-based products. So yeah, so similar to chickpeas, we're seeing, you know, products that are the lupini bean itself. So like little snacks that you can pop throughout the day, but we're also seeing things like pastas and tater tots that are being made out of lupini as well. Yeah, is that Brahmi, the one that does the little bags of the snack size ones? I think that's yes, I think Brahmi and then Kaizen is another one that's making a pasta. Um, and uh, the Real Good Food Company is rolling out the, the tater tots next year. That's oh, cool. that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, that combines two of the trends in one right there. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> is that like a... Um, a U.S. based food, or is that something that's coming from like Asia or Europe? The lupini bean. Yeah, so they um, they've been coming in Europe for a long time. Okay. Um, a lot of the sources that we spoke to um, have highlighted that they're making more inroads with growing them in the U.S. as well. So that's another way that it'll be more sustainable, better for the environment, is if we're able to shorten that supply chain by growing them in the U.S. So inroads being made there. Um, but yeah, if we're drawing parallels between trends, you can draw one between this and the tinned fish because this has really been like a European diet staple for a long time that's making its way stateside. Sports and energy, energy drinks are getting dusted off. Yeah. So I think this is this is an interesting one because it's definitely one where we're seeing a lot of movement, but the jury's out on how much of it to be frank, is kind of health washing versus um, these products actually being better for you. So what we're seeing is that, you know, energy drinks for so long, you would think about Red Bull, you would think about Monster, you'd think about five-hour energy and these really kind of like testosterone-fueled, masculine, sports bro approach to energy drink. Um, and what we're seeing now is there's kind of this new wave of energy drink that has more of a wellness halo, that kind of wellness vibe associated with it. So kind of the leader in this, this field that a lot of people probably heard of is Celsius. 
Um, a lot of people on my team that love those like Celsius drinks, they have them in the morning yeah. instead of coffee. Um, and we're just seeing more brands like that starting to percolate. And what's interesting about them is there's, there's really a broad range of, you know, the formulations that go into these products. A lot of them are still using caffeine. Um, and this is why I talked about, um, health sourcing as well. A lot of them do still have a lot of extra added sugar. So if this is something that, you know, you're a fan of energy drinks or maybe coffee doesn't sit well with you. So you're looking for another source of caffeine. Definitely read the label and see what's in there. But a lot of these other drinks are also infusing things like adaptogens, you know, ashwagandha, L-thionine, some of these more kind of natural, you know, what are, what are known to be energy enhancers or mood boosters as well. What about like this? What do you guys mean by the sports drinks? Is that like the propels and Gatorades of the world? Like, are there kind of like healthier options of those coming out that you've heard of? Well, we're seeing too. So we're thinking more about kind of the like those like energy drinks, the like caffeine boosted drinks. But we are actually seeing new products as well that are kind of combining the two. So you know, it's like a energy boosted electrolyte drink is something that's, you know, gaining more traction so that you're getting more from it than just that kind of like energy boost. So yeah, it's less of the, the propels of the world, although we're definitely seeing kind of these, these hybrid products percolating. Interesting. My dad will be excited. Those guy loves the good. I was watching. Yeah. He loved, uh, monster monster. Um, Oh my God. All the time. It's like his ride or die. Now the next category health. So virtual reality is coming for your healthcare. What does that mean? (laughs) I know it's a little abstract. Um, (laughs) I feel like it's impossible to have a conversation kind of about technology or about the internet these days without the metaverse coming up. Right. It's like the, the new buzzword. It's, it's a space that you know, you've probably heard the term, you might not know what it means, but it's, it's, it's there. And what we're seeing is that the, the health space and, and kind of like the health treatment space is beginning to adopt, um, virtual reality technology, which is, you know, very futuristic, but the future is, is here. The, um, the FDA had a two day summit in, in spring of this year, just to kind of discuss all the new research that's coming out around, um, virtual reality technology that can be used to treat various, various health conditions. So a lot of traction there, a lot of excitement within the medical community. The FDA has approved and rolled out, you know, or I guess three new products have rolled out this year that have FDA approval that are virtual reality based. And the the areas where we're seeing the most promise are in terms of um, mental health and chronic pain management, um, which are, you know, super important kind of widespread problems that often get kind of lost in the shuffle. So I think there's a lot of anticipation around potentially having more options for people who are dealing with these conditions. Now, is this something where it would be like at home treatment or you would actually have like a virtual reality set and do it at home? Or would you still be going to like a doctor's office or a center and then be surrounded in this virtual reality yeah, so I think both. I mean, these products that the FDA approved are, you know, your doctor can write you a prescription to use a VR set for um, 
you know, for mental health conditions or the other big field that's gained a lot of traction for kids in particular is treating um, lazy eye. Virtual reality can be really useful with that. So those are kind of things that you can do at home as long as you have a headset. (laughs) The other cool space kind of on the flip side of it where the healthcare community is making use of VR is also as a training tool for surgery as well. So Mm -hmm. being able to kind of have a more hands-on approach while training well, training doctors. So, you know, kind of a full spectrum. And I think we're still in the early stages of knowing exactly what's, you know, what's possible in this space, but it's a, it's a conversation that, you know, we called it as a 2023 trend. Cause I just think we're just going to hear about it nonstop in the coming year, kind of in the same way as as we've seen with things like psychedelics, right? So we're not at a place with like ketamine therapy where everyone's doing it now, but it's become kind of unavoidable, you know, to not hear about it in in the mental health space. And we're seeing the same trajectory for these VR treatments. It's really interesting. And then jumping to another one, clean up on aisle cold flu and painkillers. Yeah, so this is fascinating to me. Um, and my the reporter who worked on this trend and I have gone down many a rabbit hole. But what we're seeing here is that there's this new wave of um, brands making over-the-counter drugs. So things like a version of Tylenol or Advil or Tums um, that have a clean stripped down ingredients list, which, you know, when this was first brought to my attention, my initial reaction was like, do we need that? Like Advil is Advil and we take it right. And it's, it does what it needs to do. Like, why do we need to be more careful with our, you know, over-the-counter medications? Do we need to be thinking about this? And the more we dug into it, there's a lot of gray space when it comes to um, drug manufacturing. And I think about 85% of each pill is made up of non-active ingredients. And it's not required that there's transparency to the general public about what those non-active ingredients are or how much of them are in the pills. Um, And I don't want to be like stranger danger about this because for the most part, it's not something that's going to have a huge impact on you. But where you really might want to pay more attention is some common allergens. It's pretty frequent for them to end up in pills. So things like lactose or gluten might be in your pills and you might not realize it. Um, And if you're someone who is sensitive to those things, it could have an adverse effect for you, particularly if it's a medication that you're taking frequently and over a long period of time. Um, So these new companies are really focused on being transparent on the ingredients that are in the pills, having fewer additives, fewer artificial colors and flavorings and sweeteners, um, which is really just aligns with the way that a lot of people are choosing to, to form their diet and eat these days. That makes sense. We're investors in Helma. So they have like, you know, an alternative to Tums. They have an alternative for attention relief. And their products work. Like when I have a headache, I take their tension relief. Jordan, he uh, has celiac and like, I guess, upset stomach very easily. So he takes their stuff instead of Tums. Like we've seen a difference with them. Like that's been two years that we've been taking their stuff. Yeah, at least. Um, which I think is definitely an area that requires a lot of education. Cause like yeah. you were just saying, like you, you yourself are like, well, why can't I just take Advil? Like what, 
what like most people don't realize that like the ingredients and like what's actually in some of these drugs. I mean, believe me, I, there's a time and a place. Like I was sick last week. I was popping Tylenol every four to six hours, like not messing with it. But when it comes to like almost like a daily or frequent type of maintenance, I think it's like awesome that some of these companies are coming out with like a more like holistic approach and using more like herbal remedies for something. And like, actually you see success from it, which is amazing. Well, the weird thing is I went to go get the Tylenol for Rachel the other day and I'm standing in the aisle and you start looking at the ingredients on here and they have all of them have like additive food coloring. So it's like red five and yellow 11 or whatever all those like weird things are that are probably banned in Europe. And then I went to go get her cough drops and it's like half of the ingredients are just like pure crap. And it's like, why, like, why do you even have to add this stuff? To something that should be so simple. Well, there's like, I'm not sleeping that well. And there's like one sleeping pill that most gynecologists recommend. And it's, um, Amisom, I think for, it's called for pregnancy. for pregnancy. And it's like, has like blue four or whatever, like whatever the blue dye is in it. I take it every day. And I'm like, there, but there's nothing else my doctor's recommending that I could take. I'm like, great. So I'm pregnant, but I'm taking like the same coloring that's in a Skittle every night <laughs> just to try and get like a good night a good night's sleep. The the, the kids' products are, are the ones that are actually probably scarier. And yeah. Genexa uh, is doing a good job yep. for having options for, for children. I think for... Do they do adults too? They do. Yeah. Genexa oh. is a big one in this space. Yep. Yeah. So the tampon industry. Yeah. What's, we love to talk we, about periods. Yeah. What can we expect? Because like you just don't... A, I, like now I know, but like, you know, how many, I got my period 20 years ago. I didn't realize that there was like shit in tampons or like in pads. It's like rubbing all against your privates. Like what should people even be looking out for? And like, what can we expect? Yeah. So there hasn't been a ton of innovation in kind of tampons specifically since they were invented. Um, we started seeing movement in this space a couple of years ago with um, a movement towards, you know, organic tampons was kind of the first wave. You think about brands like Cora that are now very common. But what we're seeing for next year is a lot of innovation in the actual design of the tampon itself um, that makes it more comfortable and, and easier to use as well as more sustainable. So there's this still this continued sustainable movement, but also these design innovations as well. So there's a brand, for instance, that packages their tampons with like a lube as well. So if you're someone who has a lot of pain with inserting a tampon, it makes it easier to do so. Um, there are brands that are paying attention to you know, the shape of the tip of the tampon, you know, making it more rounded. So it's easier for insertion. Um, if you're someone who experiences, you know, pain with tampon insertion. Um, and there's one brand as well that is working on a spiral tampon. It's not spiral when you like put it up there, but well, kind of when it expands, it's in a spiral shape, which is meant to be more absorbent than kind of the typical fanning out we see of most tampons these days. So working better for you, working with different um, body shapes and body needs and really moving away from this, you know, one size fits all or I guess, you know, light, medium, super approach to tampons so that you can really find something that works best for your body. 
It's so interesting. Looking forward to diving into that aisle again in a, uh, in a few months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the next topic, fitness. What is something that we can expect to see in the fitness space? Yeah. So a big question, I think, for everyone when the pandemic hit and all gyms and workout studios had to close their doors was, is this, is this the end of, of going to the gym? People really found that they liked working out at home. People stocked up their home gyms. They bought their Pelotons. They figured out a routine. And yeah, it was a big question mark for the industry of whether people were going to return to IRL fitness um, to the extent that they have before. And we can say officially for 2023 that the pandemic did not kill IRL fitness. Um, it is back. People are making their way back to classes in gyms. And it's really exciting. So research from ClassPass and MindBody says that gym levels have now um, returned to where they were before the pandemic. Um, and what's interesting about this space too is you know, we're seeing the return in some modalities more than others, which I guess might not be so surprising. Um, I think people have found if they did buy that exercise bike or they started doing yoga at home, that works really well with their routines. But types of fitness where you need maybe more equipment, things like lifting heavy weights are bringing people back to the gym, um, boot camp type classes where you could really benefit from hands-on, you know, instruction instruction from a live instructor um, have been more popular. And then the other space where we're seeing a lot of the return is in, you know, lower price gyms. These kind of like everyday gyms that are maybe $20 a month to have a membership like a, a Planet Fitness or a Blink. Are, are really seeing people return to fitness as well, which maybe speaks to a segment of the population that doesn't have as much money, couldn't really stock up their home gyms in the same way, might not have as much space. Um, so being able to safely return to the gym is something that's really important for them. I'm excited about that. I remember when COVID hit and everyone was, I remember being like, oh my God, these poor fitness studios, is anyone going to go to a studio again. And like now I try and do like, like one class a week, at least for like the camaraderie and to like be around other people, which I think is so beneficial with everyone, like who works from home now, or just to have like other people around you. And I think that like, at least from where I go, like they're very cognizant of like germs and cleaning everything off. Like I see the people that work, they're like actually physically cleaning all like the machines and everything, which is awesome. But I think that's really nice. And you even just started going to, like, he used to go to Equinox all the time. Yeah, I, I loved the, one, going to a gym and then two, some of the group fitness classes and then obviously lost that during COVID. So I started to go back. I just think, one, for like Rachel said, com camaraderie and just two, working out, I think, is sometimes difficult to do by yourself. So if you have other people that are pushing you and motivating you, I think, I think, people realize like they got fatigued doing it at home and, and kind of miss that for sure. Totally. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think community is a big driver of this trend. Um, it's, you know, all the sources we spoke to kind of named that, that communal spirit, more, looking for more connection after spending so much time in isolation as being a big reason why this is happening now. Are you seeing the classes like in Manhattan are full again? 
Like when you go to yeah, the I haven't studio. been to many personally. Honestly, I am someone who got a bike and it works out pretty well for me at home. Yeah. But I've started dipping my toe back in for yoga classes in particular is something where I, you know, I have a dance background is kind of where my happy place is. So that like studio class feel, being around people, having an instructor um, is something that I really love and crave. So I've been dipping my toe back in, starting with kind of like yoga and Pilates and, and those types of classes. But yeah, there's um there's a brand new hot yoga studio in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. It seems to be packed every single day. That was another big concern for me. A lot of these fitness studios were kind of small mom and pop shops that closed during the mm-hmm. pandemic. And you know, you really feel for those small business owners. Um, so it's been really nice to see that there's a resurgence and a lot of them have been able to to open their doors again. So the next trend, I guess, while you're working out in real life, you're tracking it, but it's not on your wrist. So are you talking about the aura ring or are there going to be other fitness trackers coming our way? Yeah, uh, we are both all of the above. We are talking about the aura ring, but there are others as well. Um, so yeah, it's impossible to talk about fitness trends without talking about tech. They've become so intertwined over the past decade. Um, and the, the segment of fitness trackers that we really have our eye on for next year are ones that are designed to be invisible. So designed to be not distracting for you, not something that you're constantly checking in on in terms of your steps or your heart rate, but you just kind of set it and forget it. And then it feeds that data back to you. Um, so the aura ring is a great example for people who aren't familiar. It's mostly like a, a sleep tracker, but it tracks your metrics throughout the day while you sleep. And it's a ring. It's very chic looking, um, you know, kind of easy to wear. Um, so that's a big one. The the latest iteration of the Whoop, the Whoop 4.0 is, is much smaller and you can kind of place it in various places on your body. You could put it oh, cool. in a in a pocket on your hip. You could put it in your sports bra. Um, so it's, you know, not that same sort of literally on your wrist bracelet that you're used to. And then the other big category of these that have gained a lot of prominence are continuous glucose trackers. Um, so I was reporting on a, a fitness tracker related trend, I think four years ago. And I talked to a researcher out of, um, Stanford and he, he mentioned that he has his eye on continuous glucose trackers and it's taken about four years to kind of move from being solely a, you know, a health tool, mostly for people with diabetes to kind of control their health conditions to being something that can be used in a more lifestyle capacity to the general consumer. So a big brand in this space is called Levels. So they offer a, you know, a consumer version of the continuous glucose monitor. It goes on the back of your arm. Um, you wear it all the time. Is a as the name predicts, it continuously measures your glucose levels. And then it feeds recommendations and feedbacks um, back to you in terms of, you know, maybe your glucose is spiking right now, might be a good time for you to um, to go for a walk or have some protein. So you're able to kind of act upon those. Um, those biometrics without having a doctor kind of play interference. With all this information, do you think it's um, like almost causing like stress um, mentally to, to people? Like I, I always, 
I don't have any of these trackers, but I always say I would like one, but then I'm also like, I kind of like get obsessed with the numbers. And then, um, so I've always been a little hesitant, just curious if you guys ever think about that or have spoken to people, how it affects people's mental health. Totally. No, it's a great question. It's something I think about a lot and we talk about a lot, um, kind of within the team at Well and Good, because I think it can go both ways. I think that for people, particularly, you know, serious athletes, people that really have specific fitness goals, I think having this information at their disposal is, is key. You're not able to kind of make the changes you need to without it. Um, but I do think it can be, you know, not only distracting for people, but people do become fixated on it in a way that can become unhealthy. So it's definitely something to be aware of. I think if you're, if you have that question about yourself, it's really good to maintain that self-awareness and kind of see how it goes. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat with you personally. I love to wear my Apple watch, like while I'm exercising, but I'm currently taking a break from wearing it all the time because I do become a little, you know, obsessed and caught up in with like with the steps and the standing. And when I find myself trying to to cheat the um, the stand notification, you know, you kind of like wave your arm in the air to be like, I stood for this hour. I'm like, maybe I need a little bit of a break. This doesn't seem like I'm using it in a healthy way. I, I do like the products now that you like, like the ring or the whoop where you just there's no screen. So you can't get that instant gratification. You kind of have to, you know, go to your phone and, and check on it. Yeah. We don't really have any of the, the tra- I kind of put the kibosh on, on most of them. I have gestational diabetes mm-hmm. and I was going to get the levels tracker. And I'm just like, I don't want to get fixated with this yeah. because like, you know, food is a p- huge part of my job and I probably spike my blood sugar more than I should most of the time, which, you know, I don't want, I was like, I, that's going to impact my work that I'm going to get obsessed with it. Like, I think there's a time and a place for sure. But sometimes I'm like, is this just too much information for everyone to know all the time? Like, is it going to like start fears in people when it comes to doing or eating certain things, which is definitely something I always try to be like cognizant of. But if Jordan had an Apple watch, you wanted to get one years ago. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, but now, now these things that don't have screens or they're not such an active part of your life. I, I I think it would be helpful yeah. for me because I, I do like that analytics behind it. Another um, one that's really cool is um, the brand Eat Sleep. I don't know if you've heard of them. So they make mattresses. I was going to say they're a mattress do, company, right? Yeah. So they do sleep tracking through the mattress itself. And then the mattress also does really great things like cooling. I sleep really hot. So it can kind of see if you're not getting good quality sleep in real time. You can kind of adjust the temperature, which is really cool. Um, but they have new launches planned for next year where they'll be integrating with some of these other fitness tracker brands. So things like Peloton. So they'll be able to gather your metrics kind of throughout the day with the other devices you use and then pair them with the sleep metrics at night. So that's another one that I think is is kind of can fade into the background and isn't one that you have to be constantly checking on because it's already working within, you know, kind of the fitness platforms you're already using. But no, I totally agree. It's like with all of these new innovations in wellness, I'm always really excited to see what the next thing is, but we do need to be kind of conscious consumers and smart about the things that we're trying and really know what's best for our bodies and our habits as well. And not everything is going to be for everyone. And I think that's kind of the, the trickiest part for people to figure out for themselves. 
Well, Abby, this was, you know, you didn't even touch on self-care or beauty, but <laughs> so by the time the podcast episode comes out, it'll be just after the new year. So when do the trends officially come out? So I'm assuming they would be on the well and good site. Yes. Now. So the trends launch December 6th. So this will be oh, live. So easy. everyone will be able to, um, to check it out at wellandgood.com. I'm so excited. And maybe we'll do like a recap at the end of 2023 and kind of rendezvous and see see like what happened and what didn't happen in chat about for 2024 which is scary now that i just said 2024 out loud thank you so much if you could tell everyone where they could hear more from well and good or from yourself um for the listeners that would be great totally so you can find us at wellandgood.com you can also follow us on instagram at i am well and good and check out the well and good podcast wherever you listen to podcasts we're having conversations about wellness every single week Amazing. Thank you, Abby. Abby. Thank you both. This was so fun.